Welcome to the Corporate Legal Ops Consortium podcast, where we dive deep into conversations with technology and legal ops thought leaders from across the legal ecosystem. This is Clock Talk. I'm your host, Jen McCarran. I'm on the board of directors at Clock, and I lead the Netflix legal operations and technology team. On this episode, we're going to the main stage of our 2023 Clock EMEA Summit in London. My guests are Bernadette Bulican, Chief Evangelist at Isertis, Anya Lyons, Senior Vice President and Deputy General Counsel of VMware, and fellow Clock Board member. And lastly, Andrew Perlman, Dean at Suffolk University Law School. We talked a lot about generative AI, where it will impact the legal industry, and whether it will benefit legal departments first in productivity software like Microsoft Office or G Suite, or in enterprise software like contract lifecycle management. You know me, I love a debate. I'm a huge skeptic. So I was rallying for support that it will hit productivity first, but great points from this panel. Hope you enjoy the episode. I'd like to welcome my guests, Andrew. We have Bernadette visiting from iCertis. We have Anya visiting from VMware and fellow Clockboard member and myself. How's everyone feeling? Yeah. Uh, very enthused after getting schooled on generative AI. Well done. Thank you. It's so much fun. I really geek out on generative AI. I love prompting. Yes, we could see that, all of your hyperspeed videos, your time lapse. Where he's, Can you just see Andrew up all night? Like, tell me more. No, stop. Drop it. It, it looks like a, you're having a lot of fun. Today's topic for our podcast is CLM. Just kidding. We're going to talk about generative AI. But you guys, remember CLM? Remember contract lifecycle management? Or as I was joking with Ironclad outside, we should start calling it contract death cycle management just to try to bring some of the drama back to good old CLM, AKA the topic of the last five years. Welcome to the generative AI podcast, the topic of the next five years. How many of you, this is the opening question. How many of you are interested in trying to make generative AI work in your work environments? Oh, see, you should all listen to clock talk. That's the kind of numbers I need for the podcast. But that was like two thirds of the room, at least, are interested. I love that. A lot of curiosity. How many have tried it personally, the way Andrew does all night with his fun legal drafting? That's at least half the room. How many of you have tried it in a work setting with any of your work enterprise data? The number dropped. That's lower than clock talk listeners. So, okay, Clock Talk beats Gen AI in the work environment. All right, last two questions. My favorite realm who's feeling positive, optimistic about Gen AI in their work settings? Oh, bang. Most of the room feeling positive. And anyone feeling still negative and want to be a contrarian? I love contrarians, by the way. So, show me your hands. Anyone like F this? I'm going home. Uh, Andrew's sort of out. I suggest more sleep, less late night prompting. <laughs> I'm both positive and negative. I see the benefits and the risks. You're from New York. You're an inner cynic. Yeah. <laughs> Don't play me, Andrew. I, so anyone else feeling <laughs> negative or a little bit unsure? I got one hand. Okay, one hand plus Andrew. 
So true to form, you guys, we asked ChatGPT for the opening question here. It's hard to be a podcaster. Sometimes you need some help. What impact will ChatGPT have on the legal profession? And ChatGPT says, I am here to provide assistance and support, but it is up to human users to determine how best to utilize this technology in their legal practice. It's gaslighting, Jen. It, it's gaslighting. <laughs> what do you think? Voiceover actor for ChatGPT in yes. the future? Yeah, right? Okay, I'll do that on the podcast next time too. So my first question to open us up, and Andrew, you touched on it a little bit. How are us human legal professionals going to fulfill this responsibility? So I selfishly come at it from the legal ops practitioner perspective. So from there, we're going to leave academia for a second. Anya, what do you think? What is our human responsibility to fulfill this from the in-house ops perspective where you and I make a lot of noise? Yeah, I mean, I talked a lot about it in our opening. I think we have a lot of responsibility to make sure it's implemented correctly. There's huge risk on bias. And I think a lot of other negative things that can come from this technology, unless we are going to be those guides for our organizations, whether you're in-house or whether you're in law firms or in technology companies. But I also think there's a lot of fear that will come. The lizard brain that Wendy talked about this morning, I think part of the reason for having this be our total go deep topic is, I think we're all going to be asked by our business leaders. And we just saw the Ford example is so interesting. What is your strategy? And I think people will look to us for that. And as a result, I think we have a lot of responsibility as a community to educate ourselves. So when people ask us for our guidance, that we're going to be ready. And I think we've a lot to learn. None of us know all the answers yet. But I just found it fascinating to even for myself think, I've been a lawyer for over 23 years. What is my value in the next five to 10 years? And I actually asked ChatGPT. And I think what, Andrew, you showed us was that should just be used as a starter, almost as a legal concierge to give you a head start for a lot of the work that you're doing or to stop all these repetitive things that are out there, like in our company with 43,000 people asking legal the same question. Well, an AI-powered voice chatbot is probably going to be something when Copilot comes along that will be, we're already looking into that. So Copilot yeah. will be Microsoft. Microsoft. Yeah. We're a Microsoft. Suite. Yeah. But I mean, Google are coming. Everyone we work with will soon be using it just because our companies and organizations will have those kind of tools. So that should hopefully help with the lizard brain around, I'm using it already for my meetings or for my calls. And hopefully that will start changing the mindset because- our responsibility is to help them. Copilot is Microsoft's Gen AI productivity suite add-ons that are coming soon. Google has one coming as well. Does anyone know the name of it? It's not Gemini. That's their big language model. Duet. I saw a demo of Duet at Google's offices in New York a few weeks ago, and it is mind-blowingly integrated into your everyday tactile tool set. 
So it's what you just said. It's first drafts of everything expedited, but you take it from there and the better you get at searching or thinking or how to prompt things, the better you can carve it out, which Andrew, some of your examples were. Here's a question, curveball we didn't prep. What is coming first? Gen AI and productivity tool sets at the enterprise fingertips or Gen AI and our contract lifecycle tools and our lit tools even further? Like what's your guys' prediction? Bernadette, I'm starting with you. You're at iCertis. What are you guys thinking? I mean, with any AI tools, you are looking for huge, vast data pools. And that is what CLM has been providing organizations. It's not without pain and challenge, but that's why I'm really excited about Gen AI and what we have seen. I think there's a responsibility for us to be curious and to be collaborative and to look for those data pools. And so while I think all of the things that I see that Andrew showed us, the things that I've been playing with have been incredibly interesting. I continue to think about what it looks like enterprise-wide. There is a reason why so few of us lifted our hands, and it is because of security and cost and use case. I know it's been said in many of the sessions, please collaborate with your vendors in doing this. But I do think it will be where you see large data pools in enterprises. And if I can encourage anyone to think outside of the legal department is not just lawyers in your legal department hold the contract for a very unique and very important part of time, but they are also taking that contract and flipping it over to the business for the business to realize the intent of what those lawyers just served up. And if there are generative AI tools that can help in that process to really think about it from conception, drafting, negotiation, to meeting those obligations, that is incredible. That helps the entire enterprise. And so for legal ops, you think about your partner, Anya, as the general counsel, the lawyers, the paralegals that you're serving. I want to also think about your stakeholders. And yes, it will help you practice law better, but how is that helping you obtain the intent for the enterprise? And I think that's where I'm seeing really interesting things like multidisciplinary steer committees, not just thinking about ethics, but enterprise use cases. And actually, can I just build on that? You can. Such an important point. That is where we become strategic enablers, is getting together with all your enterprise partners, your chief technology officer, your head of deal management, your head of sales operations, to say, what could we do with all the pools of data that we already have, all the executed contracts we have, all the orders that we have, all of the sales cycle that we have, and put that in a data lake, layer on top in our privately held data, these large language models to have at our fingertips a whole holistic view of our customers, what we've signed up to with them, whether we have terms, we don't. That is when you become super strategic. That's one of the things we did is set up that straight away because otherwise each group will go off enterprise-wide and do their own model. And that's what you don't want. Bernadette, was that a long way of saying you think enterprise gen AI <laughs> will come first or productivity? That is the 
enterprise will come first. You think so? Before productivity. I do. And I think it's dependent on each company. I do see large multinational companies that have a particular complexity because they recognize that the power of what Gen AI can do. So I think they are taking a different approach to this that is enterprise wide, that does look to take advantage of these unique and specific data pools that are within the four walls of these organizations. And so. And maybe it is a hope. Maybe it is more of a hope than... You can dream. One can dream. I, I will dream. I, you can I dream know. on clock talk. And then I'm going to adamantly disagree with you because productivity is coming fast. But I need to be contrarian. So I think it will be enterprise. Why? Because you have to in these large enterprises. To Anya's point, you cannot... Generative AI isolated in different locations misses the entire point in boat in my opinion. Andrew, where are you holding here? I was just going to say, since you are at Netflix, I'm going to answer your question in, in, in the, the form, form of, of a movie. a TV show. Thank you. This is how we speak. <laughs> I like it. Which is that the answer is it will be everything, everywhere, all at once. Oh. And I'm serious about it. I don't think that one is going to have priority over the other. This whole industry is moving so rapidly that I think the deployment's already starting to happen. And we are going to see almost every part of our work, whether it's enterprise management or productivity, changing almost simultaneously. One other thing I wanted to pull the audience to feed us on, how many in the audience are live in their enterprise tools with machine learning AI? We got Felix Isertis, Mike Havens got it. I see maybe 10 hands out of a room of 100 plus. I'm surprised. The AI machine learning revolution was what we were talking about when the Kira seals landed several years ago, maybe five, 2017, 18. Why isn't everyone live with machine learned contracts? Anya. Somebody said it on a panel this morning, which was really interesting. Many people don't even know they're using machine learning. You probably are, and you should go back. When you're asked for that strategy, go back to all your vendors and say, what's your new strategy? But by the way, are we already using it? And Because you're going to need to ask, I think, ask those questions and answer pretty soon. The best outcome is you don't know you're using it. It's so seamless and built in. The worst outcome is your legal ops professionals know what's going on inside your technology. That's one of the takeaways I'm hearing at the conference today. So we're split. Nobody's, I'm the only one who thinks productivity no, first. I, I actually do think product, because I think productivity is a couple of months away. I was just talking to a general counsel of a really large organization who said they got access to Copilot because they're a Microsoft shop. And her team, she asked for 10 licenses for her team, which were really kind of sought after within the company because they only had got 50. She said a light bulb went on for her personally after the board minutes and everything else, the first drafts, just by it listening in the room and doing that. And she just was a convert overnight. So I think if we can get it into productivity tools soon, then our job will be easier, actually, because I think people will start to like it and hopefully not be as threatened by it. Andrew, you're burning. 
I actually tend to agree. If I was forced to choose, I will say it's productivity. It's like a gateway drug to everything else. <laughs> oh, yes. Um, because, gateway drug. Uh, because, and I'm already starting to see it, with, at least in my version of Office Tools and Outlook. When I get an email, it's suggesting the preliminary first sentence of a response. And all of us, I think, would love to have a tool that can read an email, knows the way in which we respond, and suggests a first draft of an email. That is such an easy sell. It doesn't require a lot of cultural change, doesn't require all sorts of security issues, because, especially if your data is hived off. So I think that productivity is probably going to be the first step. I watched Google Duet move from email drafts to taking those bullet points out, putting them into a Google Slides or PowerPoint basic deck. I watched, oh, lawyers are going to love this. Duet and Copilot will make you a pivot table. So you can officially forget about asking your nearest tech person ever again how to get show fans. How many times What's have you been asked to make a pivot table? table? <laughs> <laughs> Too many. Yes. It's uh, a very important way to take your data and pivot it. My dream is for the voice activated Gen AI. Alexa, make me yeah, a, a I pivot see my niece table. Who's five and all her texts are now voice. They will literally type nothing. It's um, all voice. The author Anne Lamott has a famous phrase from her book, Bird by Bird, and chapter one is called Shitty First Drafts. And at Netflix, in our memo culture, I'm always referencing that saying, write the first draft, and it's okay if it's really bad. That is a part of the creative process. Nothing comes out perfect. And then we together kind of spruce it up or refine the ideas. I think that it's the end of shitty first drafts. I think her next book will be decent first drafts. AI generated. AI generated. Are we all going to sound like bots, though? Are we all going to sound <laughs> like one mono voice? Will it adapt to us? And I think Andrew had an interesting story when we were prepping for just an education session for my team and just about drafts or submissions for students for their exams. Like and college is that essays? College essays. And is that going to raise the bar? Is that leveling the playing field? I think it can have more leveling effects than making it more competitive. I was talking, I think if Tommy is still here, Tommy Ferreira and I were talking about this months ago. I think college admissions, you could speak to this, Andrew, college admissions folks, those people are pro. They read this stuff for a living. They can tell if a bot made this. They can tell if a kid made this. They can tell if a kid had a coach who made this. Or no, Andrew, you disagree. I, I, I disagree. I think it's becoming very difficult to discern what was generated by an AI tool and what was generated by a human. And I know a lot of colleges and universities and law schools as well are struggling with this question as a matter of policy. Do we allow applicants to use these tools? I actually think it is a field leveler and there is a good equity case to be made for allowing applicants to use the tools because the reality is that well-resourced students come from backgrounds where their parents or their counselors are going to be able to give them lots of input and guidance in drafting that perfect personal statement. If generative AI tools can help those who don't have access to those resources, I think it's a great advantage. I think it's something that universities and law schools should allow. We don't necessarily need to encourage it, but I think it will help to level the playing field. As an aid to get to a better first draft. So it will help those who don't have access to mega resources to have that college essay coach 
right there as a companion. Give me an outline. Give me an example of a great story. It doesn't show in the final product. I think it will still be a kid writing an essay. Yes. So everything in it needs to be true. You can't be submitting a personal statement that has made up facts or made up personal stories about something that you've done, but it will help you present yourself in the best way possible. And the other reason that I think we should be open to the possibility that personal statements, we should be allowing generative AI to assist applicants in drafting them, is that this is what people are going to be expected to do in the future. That we are all going to be using these tools to present ourselves in the best way possible. So why not start at an early age when we're deciding who is going to attend a particular school. So I know there's a big controversy around it in the admissions world. I'm personally thinking that we should be very open. Last week or the week before the New York Times did a big article on this and they said it could be a, a playing field leveler. What do you think, Bernadette? I agree that it'll be a leveler, but what's fascinating to me is the fact that you have an incoming generation of legal professionals that are being trained, will be literally cut from a different cloth than senior counsel in, in house. You and I were talking earlier. And, and when Andrew had that list of all of the different technologies that were introduced, Anya turns to us and she's like, the fax machine. And she goes, did you do dictaphones? And I was like, I did use dictaphones. And you still have senior counsel and senior legal professionals who are cut from that cloth. And so I think that is where legal ops actually plays such an important role because they have to be a glue amongst these generations of differently trained legal professionals to use the data, embrace these new processes. And I think that is a a task in of itself, the change management piece. But again, just looking at all of the different technologies that have transformed the practice from, I mean, you and I were, were talking about the difference between word perfect and word. And I had only brought it up because I had just read something on LinkedIn about I miss word perfect. It was the supreme word processor. <laughs> Come on. Remember that like blue screen? Yes. Yes. It's the, the Blackberry, the Blackberry, the blue screen. But speaking of Word, will Microsoft Word be on Andrew's future slide as an antiquated means of communicating the contract? Many of you have children. Kids today in their learning environments are all G-Docs. And you say Microsoft Word to them and they call you a boomer. They called me a boomer. I'm like, look at my skincare. I am not a baby boomer. <laughs> Tight and high. But what do you think? Are this future generation, the next the kids and the teens now, when they go to law school 10 years and come out, are they going all G Suite? Are they going all enterprise CLM tool, not even touching this? My kids definitely look at me strangely when I talk about Microsoft Word, so I know exactly what you mean. I think there will be a culture change. There already is one. And I think Microsoft is going to be building in these tools into Word. It probably will eventually be called something else. So yes, we will probably look back on Word like we do looking back on the dictaphone, which I did. Word will be extinct. We will one day go to a museum and there will be the bones of a contract (laughs) just on a screen and it's blue. The 1960s dictaphone. And it's dead with the dictaphone and the fax machine. I love it. Imagine this. Well, these are some of the threats of automation. Things will shift. Technologies will shift. Some will die and be sunset. Let's just address the elephant in the room, jobs. What's happening to jobs? What's happening to jobs? So I'm the cynic. I'm from New York. But 
I'm going to go full like California optimism, eternal possibility. I think there are eternal possibilities with jobs in technology because I can't even believe the career I have helping legal folks figure out how to scale themselves. I had a vision of this in college years ago and I'm doing this and I would have never thought it. It's a job created from the negative space, what we don't see. And I think that there's more that we don't know about AI and the whole umbrella of AI, that there's going to be like prompt engineering, prompt searchers are going to be jobs of the future that we don't even have defined yet. So what's going away? What's the threat? Is anything getting eliminated in the job space? Are there any like switch operators that will go away from generative AI? Well, I'm a New Yorker as well. And where are you holding? Born and raised. And I am generally an optimist in this scenario. I think that there are going to be a number of jobs that will be lost. And to answer your question, I think they will be in the more routine legal matters. I think much of that is going to be automated. Do you think the whole job will be lost? Or do you think the paralegal just won't do the first draft the same way? I think that we are going to reimagine what it is that legal professionals do. So it's not that there will necessarily be fewer of us. I think that we just have to think in new ways about what it is we are going to be doing and that the ways in which we have done it through most of our careers and currently doing it is going to look markedly different in the future. And that's why near the end of my presentation, I made a point about future hires. You're going to need to look, we all are going to need to look for a different kind of skill set. People who look at the law through a different lens about how you can use tools and innovation to deliver legal services and new ways and not the ways in which it was done in the past. I think that's the future. I agree. And I think that's why Andrew's work is so important. We need more universities, more educators to really get that mindset. Also what Shell Nordstrom said yesterday around how fast and how agile we are, were as a society when COVID came around and how something that was going to take 12 years took a year to get a vaccine. I think that's how we need to think here, which is upskilling people rapidly. And I'm really hopeful that we can upskill many people who can be quite agile in this environment if they put their mind to it. And if you can inspire them to lean into that. It was funny. I asked ChatGBT, what are the new skills that lawyers will need to adapt to? And it was really funny. It was negotiation and advocacy, judgment and intuition, that sort of silent skill, adaptability and changing laws, because ChatGBT and all of these are always behind, ethics and professional considerations, emotional support and counseling for our clients, which actually that's a lot of what I do on a daily basis. That was funny. Skills. And creative decision-making. So I think it's not all about knowledge because knowledge will now be everywhere and expertise and being the smartest person in the room. So now we've got to just flex new muscles and creativity and maybe learning from the music industry, the film industry, from creative people in the world that for a long time, financially, sometimes, unless they were superstars, were not at the same level. And these professional jobs were sort of held in high esteem. Well, now our jobs are under threat and we should be learning, I think, from that community too and opening ourselves up to that. I like this idea that if it is productivity, the, to give the opportunity and the time and the space to be creative and strategic would be such an incredible 
gift. And I know we've talked a lot throughout the day just about the emotional intelligence. So I know that when we think about AI and gen AI, we're thinking about those tasks that may not require legal judgment or the highest of expertise that are redundant, voluminous, dot, 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 dot. What I've enjoyed in the conversations that I've had are these deep inquiries about what is human about the way we deliver and practice law to an organization. And I think those are the things that will drive creativity and cut a new professional, if you will. Increase creativity flowing through the environment. My most engaged with LinkedIn post of the last two months is one I wrote about creativity being the most important tool set of the moment. Every month I have a different answer and then I write about it on LinkedIn and you all write in the comments, thank you. But a lot of engagement around creativity as the chief skill because the tech cannot be creative. It is studying the annals of creativity across time, but nothing replaces that human spark that sometimes happens between two people when you're on a walk, when you're moving together through a problem and climbing the mountain. Something can happen that tech can't replicate. I've tried a few times recently. Give me starting lyrics to a pop song. Nothing. I got nothing. And me and the engineer walked to get coffee and I'm like, we have nothing from ChatGPT. And he What's going on with you? And then the barista girl like rejected us and she wouldn't say hi back to us. And we were like, what's her problem? And we went back to the studio, like just saying barista girl over and over. And we wound up writing the story of barista girl and trying to win her over by jumping into her discord chat and flirting with a coffee cup emoji. ChatGPT could not have captured the essence and the vibrancy of that moment in life. And I just wonder if it frees us up from drudgery. Mike Haven, you talked about drudgery. Eliminates that so you can have more of that fun at work and pull it into the work. I mean, how much fun did everyone have when GPT was first launched? Taking the pictures and like cats with popes on the moon or... Limited liability haiku. So much fun. It was was Mad Libs. It (laughs) was Mad Libs in 2023. But the fact that it sparked that, again, like I think that was one of the things that we've talked about the last two days has been, this has been a sea change. So the fact that we are having this conversation is so unique and so special because everyone, again, everyone was curious about it. And this is a different moment. On this creativity point, I think one really important observation to make is that it's not creative yet. I think we will see whether it's capable of doing that. And the second point I would make is that it can be a creative partner. So your barista song, if you gave it the idea, I want to create a song about a barista and described it, give me the lyrics. It would probably give you a reasonable first draft that you could respond to. I did it recently. I've long wanted to write a kind of weird Al Yankovic version of paparazzi called Let's Play Yahtzee, but I was ne- <laughs> I never got around to writing the lyrics. So I asked ChatGPT, create the lyrics for in paparazzi using the phrase Let's Play Yahtzee. It was great. And it worked. Oh, yeah. So you said Weird Al Yankovic parody song that sounds like Lady Gaga paparazzi. Yes, but it's called Let's Play Yahtzee. And it gave you... And uh, it- yes, it talked about rolling the dice and it was just 
Fantastic. I'm bringing this guy into the studio next time. <laughs> I, I don't know how to prompt. I did it recently with poetry and I wanted to write a poem for our CFO was leaving for his card. And I just put in the things he loved. Formula One, great wine. <laughs> it was brilliant. Here's a potential threat with ChatGPT. The lawyers are now artists writing poems for CFOs. Or becoming Weird Al. Or becoming Weird Al, yeah. In the voice of Weird Wonderful. Al. Wonderful. Yes. But Andrew, what I really did hear you say, a threat to drudgery is what I heard Bernadette say. And Andrew, I heard you said, there's a threat for the legal ops professional to not have the job you had yesterday. I think legal ops professionals from our paralegals, contract managers, ops folks, it's all going to keep changing. New ceilings, new walls, new square footage, new job alert. It's not just legal ops professionals. I think it's everyone. And you think it's everyone? Absolutely. I love this. Well, let me ask you a question. Don't you feel that gives you more job security? Because it's the love that everything changes. You legal people, I'm set for life here. I just have to (laughs) sound confident, implement 1% of the solution per year, just run faster than the lion that's coming for us all, death. And I'm good. You guys changed just enough yet not enough to kick. I'm just in the middle. (laughs) Job security for life. We're not recording this. Don't worry. Yes. And I do have to stay on my toes, which is I've heard from so many of you this week. GPT dropped, you said, Andrew, November 22. And it took my general counsel till March to knock on my door and go, so what's up? What are we doing? And out came the memo that I wrote all myself and said, I'm waiting for our partners to put them in the tech products. We'll show everyone everything in a sandbox environment, but nothing's going live until my lawyers stop making that scared face. The munch and scream face. We showed a few generated clause language and they freaked out. Like, where's this coming from? What's And it was not the public model. So we got to get people comfortable, but it took him a few months to get to me. So we have to stay on this. I do think though legal ops professionals have never been more needed and our jobs just got a lot more interesting, a lot more strategic. So this is probably one of the best times to be in this profession. All right, ready? Last game here. Unlimited resources. You are like Rockefeller Rothschilding. And you're going back into VMware, soon to be Broadcom. Where would you unleash generative AI first? Holding all things equal and everyone's like bought in. Where would you go? What would you point it at in terms of efficiency and scale? For me, it's all about the customer sales cycle just speeding that up. Speeding up sales. And we have a whole cross-functional team now of about six of us working on that. How can we use all our collective data to really unlock a lot more value around customer interaction, customer sales, and then customer contracting? I think what you're trying to say was the neck tattoo du jour from CGI, faster deal times, which I saw as tattooed. Deal velocity. Deal velocity. That gets attention from... Yes. The CEO, the people, I mean, there's so many other things that we can and will do with it, but I just, we'll probably start there as well as obviously, I think it's a no brainer for everybody. Like the chat bot of just FAQs that come into legal every day, get rid of those for your team. Bernadette, you're at Isertis. Dare I say you agree? Is it faster deal times and accelerating business? 
I think that is one of many. It is working with your teams to understand the problem that you want to solve. That is definitely one. And that is definitely one that gets budget and it's quantifiable. But you know what I think is really interesting going back to like, if you could use all of the tools to do anything, one of the things that I'm really intrigued by, even though I know that there's a particular cost to the computing power, is how can we use AI tools towards things like ESG? And I mean, I've looked at it in contracts, but there's probably some crazy enterprise-wide team we can do to look at a corporation's role in society using these tools to solve big, hairy problems that affect the earth and society. And that is something that I am just really intrigued by, where we are just an iceberg peeking out of the water now. Andrew, where would you point unlimited resources? I think there are some really interesting use cases in terms of teaching. Faculty using it to create syllabi, course outlines, lectures, slides that are better suited to where their students are in terms of learning. I think there are enormous possibilities there. And I think virtual teaching assistants are another possibility where students who are struggling with the material, you can have a specially trained chatbot on that specific subject and answer questions 24-7, 365. And then stay there with me. What's one ethical concern you'd be watchful for in your use cases? I think there is a risk that the tools will generate information that's just wrong. (laughs) Teach them the wrong thing. Yes, Yes. absolutely. Bernadette, ethical? Ethicals on the ESG fronts. Just having all of the right data available, because again, it's one of those implications where what legal is looking at might be different than what your supply chain and your procurement teams are looking at. That might be different than your R&D team is looking at. So it's not necessarily an ethical consideration. It's just the how do you get your arms around it. How do you get your arms it. around it? And that's something we solve for and how we're going to all write the policy on how you use this in our corporate environments. We've talked a little about the policies. Are the policies up yet, Anya, in your environment and how to use? Yeah. And thankfully, I'm sure most legal teams are probably involved in those. Again, I think everybody spun up a cross-functional team of legal and security and IT and, you know, your chief technical officer. And we built a policy, but honestly, we're iterating on the policy constantly for AI because our engineers initially wanted to use it everywhere. And we're like, no, behind our firewall only. And I do think that's the problem For me, the ethical question of bias and who's coding these models and who are these people, we need a lot of diversity in the coding from a lot of different perspectives because we're leading a lot in the hands of those people. And so I think we also have a responsibility to make sure the cost to the climate of generative AI is massive and it's being used for generative coding as well. So just learning to code in a way that is carbon neutral is something that we're trying to get our engineers to embrace as well. My last question for you all, we're doing one tactical takeaway for these folks to think about when they walk back into their offices this week, next week. My tactical takeaway is keep building the foundations, keep implementing CLM. Don't stop. 
And don't stop complaining about it at the next clock conference. <laughs> it's important to metadata everything and get your house in order in order for generative AI and any AI to make sense of these data pools Bernadette talked about. Anya, and then we'll end with Andrew, your one takeaway of advice. I would say just start a talk series for your teams. Just get them sort of educated on this topic and just run a series of, hey, we're just going to learn together a little bit more about this topic. Start there. Bernadette. Be multidisciplinary and bring a lot of diverse voices into the room when you're thinking about which problems, which solutions, and how to do it. Andrew. Pilots. I think there is this tendency to try to roll everything out to everywhere all at once, everything everywhere all at once. But I think the best approach is to try it in very discrete areas where you can show that it's successful and that will lead other people to want to participate. Prove the concept with the pilot and bring people along for the journey. I just want to say that I think Andrew got his answer from ChatGBT. I just want to say- When I asked at ChatGBT, it said, educate yourselves, identify pain points and start small. He's up late at night. You saw the time-lapse videos. <laughs> Andrew Bernadette, Anya, thank you for coming on the Clock Talk podcast today. Let's give them a round of applause. That about wraps up this episode. Thank you, Bernadette, Anya, and Andrew for closing out the Clock Amia Summit with me on the main stage and for a great conversation. You can catch this and other episodes of Clock Talk wherever you listen to podcasts. Thanks for listening. Until next time. <laughs>